the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Father, I pray that you would grant us a spirit of wisdom and discernment, so that we may know you better and love you more. Give us an understanding heart, so that we may be open to hear your voice when you say, this is the path, walk in it. Let us be your hands and feet, your voice, your heart, that we, may, that we may be channels through which you pour out your grace to the world. May Christ be seen in our lives. And I ask this in the power of the Spirit and in the name of Jesus, in whose name I pray. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So a little bit about the origin of this talk. I first gave this talk at the Kansas Young Adult Conference. And there was a certain point in the conference when all the married people went into one room and heard one speaker, and all the non-married people went into another room to listen to me. <laughs> Lucky people. I'm sure you can relate. And as I, was, as I was preparing for the conference, I was thinking about what I might speak on. And so I canvassed my friends and I told them, I'm gonna be speaking to a room full of single Catholics. What should I say? What do you think they need to hear? Some of my less than helpful friends suggested that I print out a few copies of their Catholic match profile and just hand them around the audience. But after a little bit of prayer, a little bit of thought, I decided that there was something in particular that I wanted to talk to a room of single Catholics about. And that's the title of this talk. Is there life before marriage? And when we were discussing earlier about what I was going to speak about tonight, I decided that even though I knew I was going to be speaking to a room of people, some who would be single and some who would be married, I still wanted to give this same talk, slightly modified version. Because, you know, we do have a very mixed group here. Some of you might be married, some of you for many years, some of you might be discerning priesthood, some of you might be dating, and for quite some time. But I wanted to give this talk for three main reasons. The first is, I think it's an important message for single Catholics to hear. And also, much of what I'll be talking about is equally applicable to those of you who are married. And lastly, I wanted to take the opportunity in giving this talk to remind those of you who are married of the really important role you have to play in the life of your single friends. When it comes to romance and Christianity, we often hear the encouragement, wait until marriage. Well, in this talk, I would like to say, no, don't wait. Now, before I get blacklisted from every other speaking gig that I might ever have, let me clarify what I mean. Don't squander your single years simply waiting to get into a relationship. And likewise, don't wish away those early years of dating, those early years of friendship, and wishing them away to hurry on to get onto the next stage, to get onto marriage. And I mean, I'm sure we can all think of a friend who very clearly wants to be in a relationship, and who isn't, and who complains about it constantly. If you can't think of a friend who does this, be careful, it might be you. But not only is this complaining 
kind of pointless. It's also very unattractive, especially when it's done publicly on Facebook. It is really crucial that everyone here knows that your worth is not determined by your Facebook relationship status. Your value does not come from what you have or what you can do. Your value is intrinsic. And who are you? You're an image bearer of God. You're made in his image and likeness. And the idea for this talk really came about when I reflected on some of my friends and I felt that they regarded their single years as like a doctor's waiting room where you're just sitting around twiddling your thumbs waiting for something to happen. Or like the previews before a feature film when you go to the cinema. That you, something you just want to get past to get on to the main event. Or just as simply as treading water waiting for a ship to come by and rescue you. Once I get married, then I'll really start living. That's, that's a really tragic mindset. And even if we don't say this out loud or think about it consciously, I think it can very easily become our perspective, thinking that we're just here killing time, waiting for Miss or Mr. Wright to turn up. So the title of this talk, Is There Life Before Marriage? I think a lot of people, by their actions and their disposition and their attitude, would actually answer, no, there isn't. And I think a lot of these problems flow from a misconception about marriage. Marriage is not going to fix everything in your life. Out of the corner of my eye, I saw the marriage people go, mm-hmm, <laughs> look at each other. I mean, the purpose of marriage isn't even really to necessarily make you happy, but to make you holy, to get you to heaven. St. Francis de Sales said that marriage is the most extreme form of mortification here on earth. He says that marriage is a lifelong Lent. Again, I'm noticing a few couples just look at each other. Actually, I, I remember one of the priests that I used to know, he, he said that on the Feast of the Cross, actually, he would always, at the end of Mass, he would invite people to bring their crosses up for a blessing. And he said that there was one guy in his congregation that picked his wife up and started carrying her <laughs> down the aisle. <laughs> so although it may disappoint some people to say this, your spouse is not going to fulfill all your needs and desires. We often think that we have an ache for a spouse, but ultimately at the root of that ache is an ache for God. Because Jerry Maguire was wrong. Another person does not complete you. Only God can do that. I'm sure quite a lot of you here have heard of Christopher West. He's the guy who popularizes St. John Paul II's theology of the body. And I heard a story about an evening when he was having dinner with his wife and he had been talking about this idea about how we ultimately find our, 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 our fullness in God, our completeness in God. And so as they're eating, he reaches out and takes her hand and says, honey, you do not fully, fully satisfy me. And his wife, since she was obviously very well formed in the theology of the body, knew where he was going with this. And so she lovingly looked back at him, gave his hand a little squeeze and said, sweetheart, Neither do you. 
Only God can satisfy the human heart. A spouse just isn't up to the challenge. There's a quotation I give, I think, in pretty much every single talk I've ever given. It's from St. Augustine in his Confessions. He says, you made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts will wander restless until they rest in you. That is where the ache ultimately comes to its conclusion. That's what it's ultimately pointing us towards, towards God in heaven. And it should also be pointed out that you might not end up receiving the sacrament that you're anticipating. I like to say that until you have a ring on your finger, a habit on your back, or a dog collar around your neck, you are still discerning. To a greater or lesser extent, I wouldn't expect someone that's been dating for several years to you know, occasionally on date night say, you know what, I've been really thinking about the priesthood. But you're still discerning. Now, maybe God is calling you to marriage, and that is wonderful and statistically likely. But he may also be calling you to the priesthood or to religious life. Or, and this is important, you might end up doing neither. And this should really give us pause for thought and should give us focus to live in such a way as to make the most of every moment. Because your current state in life might be your permanent state in life. And what could be worse than coming to the end of your life and thinking that you just wasted it because you spent all of your time waiting for something to happen that never happened? I think the only worse thing would be rushing into an ill-advised marriage and then regretting it. Do you guys have the same phrase that we have in England? Marry in haste, repent at leisure. In this talk, I would like to present an alternative. Rather than living in the future, I'd invite you to embrace the current stage of your life. Because life changes when you get into a relationship, certainly when you get married and most definitely when you have children. Single people, you have so much that you're in control of. You get to choose what you do with your time, what you do with your disposable income, where you live, and you have complete and unfettered access to the remote control. These things may change when you get married. Now, I don't want this to be misinterpreted as an invitation to hedonism, to live a life of selfish self-indulgence. I have a different end in mind. By all means, enjoy this part of the journey because it's a gift from God. Live in the present, but live in such a way that will stand you in good stead for whatever God has in store for you next. And that's really what the rest of this talk is about. In my remaining time, I'm gonna look at four key areas that I would invite you to focus upon and invest in during your single years. And married people, I hope you'll also find this useful. And I hope you'll also see the important role that you have to have to play. To play, to play. So the four key areas are friendships, discernment, virtue, and service. I tried really hard to come up with a snappy acronym to spell out a word. I gave up, unless you think fedivza is a word. <laughs> but we're gonna look at each of those in turn, and particularly the first three. So the first area is friendships. Use this time to choose good friends. I would suggest that you should be looking for your groomsmen and your bridesmaids before you look for your groom or your bride. 
It's important in life to be part of a team, and we have so many wonderful examples of this. The Power Rangers, the Avengers, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. If you've seen any of those movies, there's a very, the, the, the message is the same, that it's better when we're together, that we can do so much more when we're part of a team. And it's undeniable that those we surround ourselves with affect us greatly. In 1 Corinthians, St. Paul says that bad company ruins good morals. Well, we want the opposite of that. We want to surround ourselves with people who are wise, people who are holy, who will build good morals within us. We want to assemble around ourselves a saint-making team, a saint-making machine. Because have you ever noticed that saints seem to come in clusters? St. Francis Xavier and St. Ignatius of Loyola, college roommates. When we look back into the early church, St. Gregory Nazianzen, St. Basil, and all of that family, yeah, there was barely nobody who wasn't a saint. And likewise, in the same way you should be building up good friendships, build up good relationships with your family. Because there may come a time when you have to move further away from them. You might have to enter a monastery. Or at Christmas and Thanksgiving, you may have to visit your spouse's family. And it's also worth pointing out that this is something that uh, a potential wife or husband will be looking at. A lot of my female friends will often say that they look at how a guy treats his mother, how he treats his sisters, how he treats his female friends. So surround yourself with good friends, but in particular, I would say, surround yourself with good couples, married people. This is the part that you have to play. There are so many marriages today that end in divorce and that are broken and unhappy. And it's very easy to become cynical if that's the only narrative that you hear. And I mean this is a natural question. Can you think of a TV show where a marriage between a husband and wife is shown as being good, beautiful, vibrant, happy and healthy? Anyone? So either you guys don't watch an awful lot of TV well, there aren't an awful lot of good examples out there. When I sat down, I came up with three. Ben Wyatt and Leslie Nope from Parks and Recreation. Um, Uncle Phil and Vivian Banks from The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. And Corey Matthews' parents in Boy Meets World. And I think it's telling that we couldn't really come up with many examples. And of the examples that I gave, at least two of them were... What was that? Growing pains. I've never seen it. Yes, oh, we're starting to get some ideas now. Just leave it to viewers. Leave it to people. Okay. But again, you see, you see the generation that we're having to go back to to look for positive examples of marriages? We don't get that typically in the media. Therefore, find good, happy, holy couples and spend time with them. I actually have a very, very strange living situation. It's, it's unique. <laughs> I currently live with two of my friends who are married to each other and with their seven-month-old daughter. And living with them has been quite an education. I learned so much from seeing their marriage up close, seeing them live out family and parental life. And over the course of their relationship, they've said some things that have really stuck with me. One of them, it was, it was what the husband said a couple of months after they got married. He said, when you get married, you find out who you really are. When you're just dating, I can be a great boyfriend, 
because at the end of the day, I get to go back home and sit in my underwear on the couch and read comic books. <laughs> but now, we're together the whole time. I have to surf her the whole time. I get to find out actually how selfish I really am. And a couple of months after they brought their baby girl home, the wife said something a little similar. She said, when you have a child, you find out who you married. You get to see what the other person is like on only a few hours of sleep, when they're having to get up for the fifth or sixth time that night, cleaning up bodily fluids from your child. You really get to see who you married. And I think that's a, a really good piece of advice to take into anybody that you're dating. Is this the kind of person that would get up and clean up poop at 3 a.m. and let me sleep? But even before they were married, I was still learning a lot from these two. I was housemates with the husband for about a year and a half. And I remember seeing the way he dated this girl who had become his wife. In particular, I remember one day when he planned a surprise for her. He, they had dinner at Sunset Cliffs, you know, over in Ocean Beach. And he smuggled all of the things there, the table, the tablecloth chairs, flowers, all of the food. And a picture was taken of the two of them by somebody who was jogging past. And that ended up making its way online and onto Reddit, and we found it. <laughs> the caption was wonderful. This guy wrote, this guy here is making us all look really, really bad. <laughs> Maybe, but I actually found it inspiring. I got to see the kind of man I wanted to be, the kind of way I wanted to pursue, pursue a woman. And so this is why it's important to surround yourself with these kinds of people, single and married. Because these are the people that you're going to go to for advice. These are the people that you're going to go to and say, hey, I'm thinking of asking out so-and-so. What do you think? And they might say, hmm, you too? I don't really see it, but sure. Or, I think it's a little soon since your last breakup. Sometimes they'll say go for it, and sometimes they will give you the kick that you need. Dude, you've been talking about this girl for a month. Just ask her out already. And the wonderful thing about this team is that they will know you well. How was everyone's Lent this year? Good. Mine was awful. You know why? It's because I let those two friends choose some of my Lenten penances. <laughs> they zeroed in on my weak spots with pinpoint accuracy. So the moral of the story is, don't ever let anyone else choose your Lenten penances. No, the moral of the story is those who are close to you know your strengths and they also know your weaknesses. And this is a phenomenal resource if you are brave enough to tap into it, if you are brave enough to come to your friends and ask them for their advice. And this is why it's important to find good friends, wise friends and holy friends. These are the people that are gonna speak truth into your life when other people would be a little bit too polite. And I really would suggest, if you have some close friends, tell them. I give you permission to come and talk to me if you think I'm heading off in the wrong direction. And if everyone, anyone says this to you, and you see them heading off in the wrong direction, make sure you tell them. There's nothing worse than a year and a very painful breakup later for everyone to start saying, oh yeah, no, I never really liked him very much. If you love the friend, love them well. Love the friend more than you love the friendship itself. And this is why this, this, this friendship has to be close. 
And lastly, a good, a good posse of friends. This is a great place for good romantic relationships to blossom. In the Song of Songs, the bridegroom says, you have ravished my heart, my sister, my bride. There's a lot to be said for building a romance from a good friendship. Now, there are some potential complications with this. Uh, and we don't have a whole lot of time, so I'm going to skip over that. But if you would like to hear my thoughts, there is an article on my blog, restlesspilgrim.net. And uh, I'm pretty sure Nessa's going to want us to do an episode on the podcast about that soon. So you could just listen to that. So that was the first area, the first area in which to invest. This is particularly important when you're single, but it continues in the other stages of life. The second area is discernment. We each have a vocation in life. And the word vocation comes from the Latin, vocare. It means to call. And it can be used more broadly to speak of different kinds of calling in life, but we typically more commonly refer to it when we're talking about whether someone's called to marriage, to the call to the priesthood, to call to consecrated life. And the point that I would like to make is this. Don't simply assume your vocation. Actively discern it. I think many people just assume that they're going to get married and don't even consider the possibility that God might, in fact, have other plans. And when I speak about discernment, I'm not talking about just some vague navel-gazing. I firmly believe that discernment is doing. Discernment is active. I've had two points in my life where I very seriously considered calling to the priesthood. The first time was awful. I just sat in my room, felt angsty, and waited for a sign. Speak to me, God. I did that for a month. It was horrible. The second time I went through a period of discernment was infinitely better. I was intentional and purposeful. I had a plan. And so I'd like to offer three guidelines, three general suggestions for discernment, and then we'll speak a little bit more specifically about marriage and priesthood monastic life. So to aid yourself in discernment, number one, spiritual direction. Set yourself up for success by finding yourself a good spiritual director. One of my favorite saints, St. Philip Neri, he said, he who has himself as a spiritual director has a fool as a spiritual director. So keep on the lookout for good and holy priests who will be able to guide you in your spiritual life. Suggestion number two, silence and adoration. Make regular time to be able to go to the adoration chapel. Now, my work is often very busy, and so sometimes I can't spend a full holy hour. Then I just spend half an hour, a holy half. Regularity is much better than having a, a long session. Remember I said that vocation comes from vocare, to call? Do you have enough space, do you have enough peace, do you have enough quiet, do you have enough silence in your life to hear God when he calls you? Suggestion number three, deal, dealing with baggage. To aid in discernment, spend some time dealing with your own baggage. Everybody has baggage that they will be bringing to a relationship or to a vocation. Spend your single years making sure you bring as little as possible. Reflect on your past relationships. 
Can you say why they, why they ended? Guys, typically, when someone said, asks a guy why he broke up with a girl, it's like, oh, she was just crazy. That's not gonna cut it. What did you learn about yourself in that relationship? What did you learn about the other person? What did you learn about what you want for marriage? What did you learn about what you would like in a future spouse? Use this time to find healing. And honestly, there's no, no way better than getting some therapy or some counseling. I was in counseling for a year, and it was worth every penny and every moment. Spend this time working on yourself and dealing with your past issues before you add another person into the mix. But even if you now already have another person in the mix, go anyway, it, it's good. More people need to go. So those are three general suggestions, but what if you are feeling a calling towards priesthood or monastic life? Once again, be purposeful. Remember I said that the first time I tried discerning was horrible, the second time was much better? Well, I went and spoke to priests, to seminarians, to monks and to sisters. I asked them for their story. I talked to them. I got to see what their day-to-day -day life was like. I went to visit seminaries and monasteries. And if you think you've got a calling to the monastic life, date a particular order. Go and date the Benedictines for a while and read and ask for good book recommendations. The book that I found really helpful when during that time of discerning the priesthood was by Brett Brannan. It was called To Save a Thousand Souls. If any of you guys are thinking about calling to the priesthood, I seriously recommend getting that book. But what about if you think you're being called to marriage? Well, you just do equivalent things. You seek out couples whom you respect. See, married couples, <laughs> your role is really important here. Invite your single friends over for dinner. They'll come if you promise dinner. But it can be an exchange. You then talk to them for a little while and then they can babysit the kids while you guys go out for ice cream on a date. But single people, ask the married couples you know for their story. How did they meet? How did they fall in love? What was it that made him decide that he wanted to get down on one knee and spend a bunch of money on a piece of jewelry? But spend time with them and see what day-to-day -day life is like and see what parenthood is like. And start forming in your own mind an idea of what you are looking for in a marriage and what you're looking for in a spouse. And just to be clear, I'm not talking about having a list of things that say, must be six foot and play the ukulele. I've seen lists like that. But it's important to have an idea as to what you are really looking for so that you then don't make bad decisions. You might compromise where you shouldn't, or do something out of loneliness or desperation, or just entering a disastrous relationship because you don't want to be alone. So that was area one, seek out good friends. Area two, actively discern your vocation. Area three is virtue. As I said earlier, this time is a gift from God, so use it to draw close to him. Establish a regular prayer routine and foster an interior life. Now, growing in your faith is important for many reasons, but think about your future vocations. If you do get married and have children, you are gonna be the teacher, the primary teacher of your children and instructing them in the faith. And if you're called to priesthood or monastic life, you'll have a role within your community or church. And until then, the closer you grow to Christ, the more you will be able to share him with those that you meet 
and draw other people to Christ and to his church. So if you're single, make the most of this time. Go to Bible studies, go to retreats. These things will become increasingly hard to go to as family and child responsibilities increase. Likewise, carve out time for silence and solitude. Remember I spoke about adoration. I live in a house with a seven-month-old child. Silence is not something you always are guaranteed. And frequent the sacraments. At the moment, you can go to the liturgy whenever you want. Whenever you want. Those of you who are married with children know that it's not always that simple. And actually, my married friends tell me that there's no better preparation for marriage than regularly going to confession because you practice saying sorry. <laughs> but don't just grow in faith, grow in virtue more generally. Because I think a lot of people believe in what I call the magic wedding ring. It works like this. You go up to the altar with your bride on your wedding day and you exchange rings. She puts a ring on your finger, you put a ring on hers. And you know what? Suddenly, all of your irritating habits, your character flaws, your vices, gone. You are now nothing but the paragon of virtue. <laughs> I'm noticing the wives looking at their husbands going, I'm not sure he is. No, this is, this is nonsense. Virtue doesn't just happen. Virtue is a habit. It has to be developed over time. Think about an Olympic sprinter. When does an Olympic sprinter start preparing for his race? It's not seconds before. It's not minutes before, not hours before, weeks or months. An Olympic sprinter is preparing years before so that when the moment comes, he'll be ready. To start growing in virtue, become the person that you would want to marry. Become the person that you would want your son or daughter to marry. We all want to marry somebody that's wonderful. But rather than just looking for the virtues in somebody else, start developing them in yourself. Start developing the virtues that such a person would deserve. Be the right person to find the right person. And if you're married, renew your resolve. So grow in virtue, but in particular, grow in the virtue of chastity. The virtue that allows us to love rightly. St. John Paul II said that only truly the chaste man and the chaste woman can have true love. If you want true love, live chastely. And part of what that means is ditching the pornography, if that's in your life. I'm not just speaking to the men, I'm speaking to the women. Pornography is not only toxic, it's a terrible preparation for any vocation. Because it teaches us gratification without sacrifice. It teaches us to look on other people as objects. Objects, not persons. Objects to be used, not people to love. And if you want to grow in virtue, I think there's no better way than through fasting. Oh, you all look so excited about fasting. <laughs> and it's not just fasting from certain kinds of food or food in general. You can fast from other things like TV or Facebook or Netflix. Yeah, I know where it hurts. Netflix. <laughs> fasting is fundamental to discerning your vocation because it teaches self-mastery. And it's not just self-mastery for its own sake. We master ourselves so that we can give ourselves away, either to another person in marriage or to the church in celibate life. 
And whereas pornography teaches self-indulgence, fasting teaches self-discipline. And there are lots of wonderful groups that live this out heroically. There's a group known as the E5 Men, comes from Ephesians 5. And in that organization, on the first Wednesday of every month, the men gather wherever they are, and they have a bread and water fast. And they offer this sacrifice for their wife, their future wife, or the church. Guys, what would it be like to tell your bride on your wedding day that you have been fasting for her, even years before you even met her? And I've known groups of men that use a similar strategy to break their porn addiction. A, gr a, a group of three or four guys. And there's an agreement that if any of them succumb to that sin, they just send a, a text message to the group. And for the next meal, everybody fasts. Everybody joins together in prayer for the brother that fell and praying for God's mercy for themselves as well. This is how you grow in virtue. So... Grow in friendships. Actively discern your vocation. Grow in virtue. And last one, find places to serve. And I'm going to be fairly quick here. Be generous with the life that God has given you. Imitate Christ by serving others. Do whatever you can, in the, whatever capacity you can, with whatever time, talent, and treasure God has given you and support the ministries of the local church. If you see a need and it's not being met, step up. As I was reviewing this talk, I was thinking about all of the different ministries that are now in San Diego that weren't here when I left a year and a half ago, well, two years now. And virtually all of them were grassroots. It was a layman or a laywoman who saw a need and wanted to do something about it. There's a new Bible study at the Immaculata. The young adults go and feed the homeless downtown. Service speaks very powerfully to the world of your love for Christ. But it also teaches you something very good. It teaches you about dying to self, of putting others ahead of yourself. And whatever vocation God might be calling you to, that's very good preparation. So friendship, discernment, virtue, and service. What if you haven't really been focusing on these things up until now? That's easy. Start today. And I've used the word several times in this talk. I talk about investing in these areas because it's just like financial investments. It pays to start early. Start investing in these areas as soon as you can because it will pay dividends later. And if all of this seems like an awful lot of work, what do you think a vocation is going to be like? What do you think marriage is going to be like? Monastic life, priesthood. Pretty much anything that is worth anything will require something of you. There's no such thing as an easy vocation. But in your vocation is where you'll find God's will, and therefore it's also where you'll find joy. I see time running down, and the timetable will march on. We'll have a little bit of time for Q&A if anyone has any questions. But I'll just pull together a few closing thoughts. If you get nothing else out of this talk, please just remember this. Don't wish away your single years. 
Enjoy the season. Embrace it. It's a gift from God. And if you let him, he will use this time to transform you into a saint. Invest this time wisely. Build up around yourself a community of wise and holy men and women who love you and who will be pointing you towards heaven. Carefully discern your vocation. Develop the virtue to become the man or woman that God is calling you to be. And imitate Christ by serving others. Is there life before marriage? There certainly is. And as Jesus said, it's life in abundance. God may choose to prepare you for heaven through one vocation or another. But regardless of what that vocation is, he's calling you now. He's calling you to serve now. To live every day with him. With him, through him, and in him. I send in prayer. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord, thank you for the gift of another day. Thank you for this current stage in our lives. And thank you for the opportunity to know you, to love you, and to serve you. Train us to be true disciples. To give all that we have to you. That in the same way in the Eucharist, in the liturgy, we bring forward gifts earthly gifts of bread and wine and give it to you and you give it back to us as the body and blood of your son Lord take our lives we give them to you we know that you're a good father who will transform us transform us into saints and bring us to home in heaven and we ask this in Jesus name Amen in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.